0: For the next three Wednesday nights, we're going to deal with the book of Jude, and um, I I think this book is interesting. Uh, It's one of the smallest books of the Bible. Actually, the book of Jude only has one chapter. Everybody shout, one chapter. It is only one chapter, but in this book, it holds a wealth and a treasure field of information, information that is not only applicable to you, but also me and the church. And I would further say this, it is applicable to the generation that we live in and the times and the seasons that we find ourselves in, especially right now in the season that we find ourselves in. America is in an uproar. The church is somewhat Confused, um, And so we this book deals with issues like we are facing today. And so we're going to take a, the next three Wednesdays and we're going to look at it. We're going to dissect some of this and we're going to see what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Now I want to say to you, and I I think this is important, the book of Jude may not have been written to you in particular, but it is written for us. Can I say amen? Can you say amen? The book is written for us. Say that with me. The book... Okay, everybody shouted out really loud on the count of three. The book is written for us. Now, I'm reminded that the Apostle Paul uh, said in the book of Romans chapter 15 and verse number four, uh, um, Romans chapter 15 verse number four, they don't necessarily have to put it back there. This is an, an extra scripture, but I want to read it to you and just listen to the words of this. Uh, Romans chapter 15 verse number four, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that through the patience and comfort of scripture we might have hope do you see what the apostle is saying here that everything that was written in the scriptures were written for our learning and through the patience and comfort of scripture we might have hope so guess what even the boring books of the bible even though they were not written to you in particular they were written for us say that with me they are written for us The books of the Bible were written for us. They may not have been written to you in particular when they were wrote, but they were written for us. And so uh, I want you to see this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit inspired the prophets of old, and they begin to write the scriptures. God breathed upon those people and they began to use their ability and they articulated the words that the Holy Spirit gave them and they began to write what the Holy Spirit wanted them to write and it is for us today. So as we look at the book of Jude for the next three weeks, we're going to see some uh, things that is applicable to my life and your life and especially as a church and a nation that we find ourselves in this season, this very perplexing season that we find ourselves in. And the reason that I feel like we need to go this direction is because everything that was written in scripture was written for our hope and it was written for our comfort. According to Romans chapter number 15 and verse 4, they were written for our hope and they were written for our comfort. How many will raise your hand and say, we need hope and we need comfort? Can I hear an amen? We need hope and we need comfort. And I believe that the scriptures will bring about hope and they will bring about comfort to us. When you look at the book of Jude, the book of Jude is the sh- one of the shortest books of the Bible, and you will find that Jude is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Jude chapter number one and verse number one, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied unto you. This is a salutation, and so you will see at the beginning of this letter, this epistle this letter that he is sending to those who are called by God to those who are preserved in Jesus you will see that uh, he refers to himself as a bond servant he is the bond servant of Jesus Christ this is interesting to me because jude is the half-brother of Jesus and nowhere in this epistle does he refer to himself as the half-brother of Jesus he doesn't gloat about being the half-brother of Jesus. He doesn't list his achievements. He doesn't list his bond that he has with his brother. You know, this is a prime opportunity for Jude to uh, share the accolades that he has with his brother. But nowhere in this epistle does Jude list all of his trophies uh, that he has or his, he doesn't explain the bond that he has with Jesus. He doesn't even explain that he's the half-brother of Jesus. Nowhere is That to be found because I love this book because this book has a servant leadership mindset, a servant leader mindset. Jude is a leader in the church, but he's a servant first. I'm going to say that again. He's a leader in the church, but he is a servant first. And my friends, no matter what position we may find ourselves in the church, we are all servants. Amen. We may have different roles, we may have different offices, we may have different functions in. In the church, but we are all servants. Not only are we a servant, but Jude said he is a bond servant. That's, that's very important because in the Jewish culture a bond servant wasn't just a servant. It was something it was, a, it was a bond slave actually. It was a slave. And those slaves back then in order for them to identify with their master, they would put a peg in their ear, their right ear, and nail a peg to their ear, it would identify them to their master. And so, what Jude is saying here, Jude is saying, "Listen, I am, I am a slave to my half brother Jesus. I am a slave to my half brother. I, 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 I belong to him. You know, that's really interesting. You know why that's interesting is because some of us lose respect." in the church when we become familiar with people and nowhere in this passage does jude lose respect for jesus even though jude was raised with jesus can i hear an amen and if anybody knew jesus's life it would be his brothers and he still said good things about him and let me say something is the people around you the people that you associate yourself with the people that your family what do they say about your character what do they say about you they know you more than anybody else knows you and here you find this man Jude who is the half brother of Jesus who knows Jesus and in spite of all of that he did not allow familiarity to color his opinion of Jesus because Jesus' character was supreme even growing up in his household and so you find that Jude refers to himself as a bond slave to Jesus Christ, the brother of James. He doesn't say he's the brother of Jesus. He says he's the brother of James, their other half-brother. He doesn't associate himself to Jesus as his half-brother. He associates himself to his other brother called James. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, not the half-brother of Jesus. He refers to himself as the brother of James because he wants his readers to know that I am writing this book not because I'm the half-brother of Jesus. I'm writing this book because there's a mandate on my life, and there's a purpose in why I'm writing this epistle. I don't want you to get confused that I'm just writing this book because I'm related to Jesus. I'm writing this book because there's a mandate on my life, and there's a purpose on my life, and there's a reason why I'm writing this book to you. You see, Jude, if you had to sum up the book of Jude, it, was, it would be really... Really about defending and keeping the faith. That that's primarily what you see. But the second thing that you see in the book of Jude is keeping your guard up. He, he number one he he gives excuse me he says in this epistle that uh, uh, that that you need to keep your guard up that you need to persevere in the faith. You need to make sure that you don't follow after the apostates. So you need to keep your guard up, but number the number two, you also need to fight for the faith and you need to defend the faith. And so he goes on, he says, verse number three, he says, beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, but I found it necessary that I exhort to you that you should earnestly contend for the faith earnestly contend for the faith the word contend there is the word for war you need to war for the faith you don't need no, you just don't need to fight for the faith you need to war for the faith you need to move, you need to do more than just fight you need to go all out for the faith how many would agree with me that we need believers to go all out for the faith Not just fight for it, but go all out on the faith. Be radical about defending your faith. Let me say this because I think this is important. There are two things in the New Testament that you find that Christians deal with. Number one, you find the persecution of their faith. Throughout the New Testament, you will find that Christians uh, were persecuted for their faith. Everybody say that with me. Persecution of their faith. And number two, uh, you also find that their, their, their faith was uh, uh, perverted. There was perversion in their faith. So there's two things in the New Testament that you find Christians dealing with. Either they were being persecuted for their faith or the perversion of their faith. In other words, you find them in the church, but you also find the Judaizers trying to come into the church to distort the message. You find Gnostics coming into the church trying to give a secret message. If you really wanted to follow Jesus, you need to come my way because I have the secret way. That's Gnosticism. Secret. And isn't that interesting that some religions nowadays, uh, it's a form of Gnosticism. One of the very early, early, early heresies of the church is Gnosticism, and it was this idea that these group of people have... What they considered secret. If you really want to follow Jesus, you follow me, and we have the secret in following Jesus. Isn't, doesn't that describe the Mormon Church? You come into us, and we have the secret temple, and you go into the temple, and you get you get some secret underwear, and you get some secret handshakes, and you get some secret things because you know nobody knows what you do in the temple. That's a form of gnosticism. Jehovah Witnesses don't put no you know you know come in here because you know we have 144,000 people that can only make it to heaven and only 144,000 people can partake of communion on Sunday morning the chosen one it's all secret and that's a form of gnosticism and let me say it loud and clear uh, ladies and gentlemen the gospel of Jesus Christ is not secret it's a public thing and soon Gnostics, they believed that they had the secret, and there's other things that gnost. There's many different strains of Gnosticism, but the essence of it is that they had this secret. the secret, they had the secret wisdom, they had the secret knowledge. If you wanted to, and that was one of the very first heresies of the church. And they also taught Gnosticism taught this that Jesus didn't really have a physical body. Jesus appeared to have a physical body, but Jesus really didn't have a body. Jesus really didn't have a body. When you saw Jesus dying on the cross, it looked as though Jesus had a body, but Jesus didn't have a body. He was all spirit, not flesh. You say, well, pastor, I've never heard that before. Well, that was the first heresy of the church, and I want you to see this. They can put it behind me if you want to, um, but no pressure. Uh, I want you to see 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 1. I want you to listen to the words, and I think this is very, very important. Gnosticism, this, 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 this heresy, this false doctrine, this, this false worldview that was being propagated in the church primarily— you will find that the apostles and those who wrote the scriptures was fighting against Gnosticism. That's what they were fighting against. And it's a prime example in 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 1. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 1. I want you to see what the the writer here is saying. He said this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled the word of truth concerning the word of life, the life that was manifested, that we have seen, we bear witness, we declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen, we've heard, Declare to you, and we also may have fellowship with you and fellowship with the Father and with His Son. Do you see what he's saying here? We have seen Him. We have heard Him. We have handled the word of truth because Jesus is just not a spirit. Jesus is a body as well. Am I right about it? Am I right about it? What about um, 1st John chapter number 4, let me just give this to you, 1st John chapter 4, listen to the context of this, this is the first heresy of the church, first false doctrine that's being propagated in the church. And there's many different strains of Gnosticism, and one of their belief system was Jesus didn't have a body. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. What do you think he's talking about? Gnosticism. And test the spirits whether they're of God, because many false prophets, who are the false prophets? Gnostic prophets, who have gone out into the world, and what are they teaching? By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the... Come in the what? Come in the what? Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh... And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is already in the world... But you are of God, little children. You have overcome them. Who did you overcome? You have overcome the Gnostics. You have overcome the false teachers. Because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. So what is the first heresy of the church? Gnosticism. One of their belief... One of their main core doctrines is that Jesus never had a body, because God can not have a body. So when he's dying on the cross, he appeared to have a body, but he was actually a spirit. And these apostles were saying, I touched him, I handled him, I spoke to him, I am an eyewitness that Jesus Christ had a body. Can somebody throw your head back? Throw your hands up and thank God he has a body. He's 100% God and 100% man, not 50-50. He's 100% God, 100. And you know, I can just, you know, I could just go on and go on. I mean, what about 1 John chapter? Uh, what about 2 John? I mean this is found throughout the epistles. This is what they're wrestling with. Second Peter chapter number, excuse me, second John, the book of second John. There's only one chapter. Look at verse number seven. Second John verse number seven. I want you to see this and who are the deceivers? The Gnostics. Look at verse seven. For many deceivers have gone into the world. Who do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and the antichrist. Look to yourselves that you do not lose those things which we work for, but that you might receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. What is the doctrine of Christ? That Jesus Christ has a body. Whoever does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. And he who does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house or greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Don't partake of these Gnostics who are telling you That he does not have a body. Listen, if Jesus does not have a body, then Jesus did not shed blood. And if Jesus did not shed blood, there is no remission for our sins. And we are yet still in our sins. God of the universe came to the human planet and he put on mortal flesh for you and for me. So this is a deceiver and this is the Antichrist. You see, what are you saying, Pastor Josh? All throughout the New Testament, there's two things you find. You see the persecution of saints and the perversion of their faith. Their faith was being perverted. They had just a little truth to confuse them. You see, if the truth can make you free, then it must be a lie that binds you up. And that's how the devil binds you up, just a little bit of lie, just a little bit of truth to confuse you. And these Christians were becoming confused. And he says, you got to watch out for these deceivers. They are the Antichrist. You see, there is a person that will come in the last days that will be a physical Antichrist. But there is also in the world a spirit called Antichrist. That anything that opposes God... So the persecution of saints, the perversion of their faith, you see throughout the New Testament. You see Christians being persecuted, but you also see in their faith being uh, perverted. And so that is why the apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1, Now the Spirit speaks expressly in the latter times that some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines, doctrines of demons. The word doctrines is the word for teaching, the teaching of demons. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to believers here. He's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to believers here. He said the Spirit is expressing. Speaking to us, urgently coming to us and telling us that there will be some of you, some of you will depart from the faith and you will give heed to seducing spirits and teachings that are of the devil. I remember growing up. I, I think I was 10 or 11 years old. I, I, in particular, I remember the story how uh, that that time period, my mother was a very devout believer, and she, she received the Holy Spirit and spoke with tongues and had this amazing conversion experience when I was little, and she used to uh, pr- have prayer meetings with... Um, I don't even know her name, but I, I remember seeing her. Uh, she was a tall woman with, uh, um, I think her name was Moran or something like that. A t- woman with blonde hair. They would have prayer meetings in the living room. And I remember as a child them crying and speaking in tongues. And I remember, you know, we lived in that apartment complex for several years, and they would pray together. And so I remember uh, my mom telling my grandmother that the friend that she prayed with day in and day out was dying at the hospital. And, uh, and I remember them having this conversation, and they said, well, my grandma said, well, do you still pray with her? And she said, no. She, she left the faith and went to the Mormon church, and has been a devout Mormon for several years. And, uh, and, the, and the reason that she did that was because she had been sick for years, and when she went to the hospital, her own church didn't show up to pray for her. The Mormon church showed up at the hospital, was making visits, and prayed with her, and asked her if she would read the Book of Mormon and pray about it. So she prayed about it and felt like the Holy Spirit said the Book of Mormon is correct. And so she became a very devout Mormon. And so my mom and her, you know, parted ways because uh, of course my mom had enough common sense not to follow the Book of Mormon. You see, the problem is, is that just because you go to church and you love Jesus doesn't mean you don't have the potential to be deceived. You see, people say, I got the Holy Ghost. I, got the, I know a lot of people that got the Holy Ghost that's went the opposite direction. You want me to start naming them all? I, I know a, lot, a whole lot of people that had the Holy Ghost and shouted and screamed and spoke in tongues. I know preachers who pastored great churches that no longer pastor great churches. They've left the faith. Now, persecution of the saints and the perversion of their faith. You see, the book is about those people who apostasize their faith, apostates. The word apostate means to turn away. It means a fallen away. It means to turn around and go the opposite direction. These people who turned around and left the faith in the book of Jude, who he begins to describe, these people were a professor of salvation but they didn't possess salvation there was something wrong they had a counterfeit Christianity. And Jude says in verse number one, he says, I wanted to write to you about salvation. He says, but I am, I decided I was going to write to you about something else. Verse number three, Jude verse one, or excuse me, uh, verse number three, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, uh, he said, I wanted to write to you about salvation. And let me say this church, salvation is a wonderful thing. But I think what Jude is trying to say here is that we need to be defenders of the faith against those who pretend to be of the faith. There's a difference between defending the faith and pretending to be in the faith. And Jude is making a case here that we must defend the faith against those who pretend to be in the faith. There are those who walked away from the faith. And he says, I wanted to write to you about salvation, but he said, I find it necessary to exhort to you that you would contend earnestly. The word contend means to war. I want you to war earnestly. I want you to be diligent about this, that the faith that was once delivered to us, this is the faith that you need to fight for. This is the faith that was given to us. What is the faith he's referring to? He's referring to the faith that that Jesus is not only God, but he's also man at the same time. They're dealing with Gnostics. You say, well, pastor, I, 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 I think it would be more than that is the fundamental. Listen, Christianity wrestled for 300 years over the issue of who is Jesus. How can Jesus be God and man and the Father be God. What, how does that work out? They had to have councils to try to figure this out. They knew Jesus was the Son of God, but what does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? I mean, because Christianity is a Judeo-Christian religion, and our roots are in Judaism, and Judaism states that there is only but one God. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Well, if there is only one God— The God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, who in the world is Jesus? Because if he's God, that must be two gods. And so Christians had to wrestle with this. They had to come up with terminology. They had to search the scriptures to understand the concept of the Trinity. And one of the very first heresies of the church is these Gnostics are saying, Jesus is really not God. He's a spirit man. He doesn't have the body because God can never have a body. And so that is the doctrine of the church. It's a very fundamental doctrine, but it's a true doctrine. I want you to see this. Even Paul was very careful to describe that this is the mystery of our faith. This is why we need to preach this. He says in First uh, Timothy, if they can find it for me, that would be awesome. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. Listen to what Paul says to his son, Timothy. He's describing the faith. Everybody shout the faith. What is the faith? He says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. You see that? And what is the mystery of godliness? God was manifested in the flesh. Justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among Gentiles, believed up in glory, and received up, uh, believed in the world, received up in glory. Do you see that? Do you see the mystery of the faith? He's describing what the faith is. Now guess what? Go to the next verse. First Timothy chapter number four. This is the next verse. First Timothy chapter four, verse one. This is the next verse after, after that. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. What is the doctrine of demons? That Jesus never had a body. See, we like to read these scriptures and take them out of context. He just said that the mystery of our faith is, what did he say? 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, the mystery of our faith is that God was manifest in the flesh. I remember I was teaching a uh, starting point years ago, and I've taught it every year for 10 years since I've been almost, uh, probably eight years I've taught it. it it's amazing to me. Amazing to me, the new people that's come to our church, no disrespect. We love them, and that's why we're here to help people, but I'm just doing this as a point. I would ask the question in the class, how many of you believed that Jesus Christ was created? Where's Mike Allenball? Mike, you've been with me all those years in that class. Am I telling the truth? Seventy-five percent of them would raise their hand, even those who've been raised in the church. And they would agree that Jesus was created. I remember the first time I, I, I sat there and everybody raised their hand, and Mike, we we've had this conversation over and over. I thought to myself, we have failed. We have failed. We don't even know the basic doctrine of the church, But, but we know how to speak in tongues and we know how to give our seed money and we know how to run around and wave flags and banners and get in the glory we know how to approach the mountain of the Lord in the smoke but we can't defend our faith we know how to recite country songs but can't recite scripture some of you know how to quote songs just like that but can't concentrate to read the Bible. Can't concentrate to memorize Scripture. You see what I'm saying? There's a disconnect. Can't you know? People don't want to be a part of a small group. I people ask me. You know, <laughs> I've heard people. I've heard people say all kinds of stuff before. You know. Is there going to be preaching tonight? Are you just? We're you just going to work. Boy, we had church today. There was no preaching. I mean, like. <laughs> how many's heard that before? There is either the persecution of the faith, or the perversion of the faith. The very fundamental doctrine is being disputed in Scripture. Very fundamental doctrine being disputed in Scripture. We have to defend the faith to those who are pretending to be in the faith. He goes on, and he says, and we don't I have to end here, and we can pick up next week. He, he begins to give these people who left the faith, these people that were apostates that left the faith, and he gives an example. He says, I'm going to give you an example so that you don't do it. He says, you got to keep your guard up, and I'm going to give you a few examples of people who were in the faith but left the faith. He says, you got to keep your guard up. In other words, you got to defend the faith. Keep your guard up. Don't fall into the trap of heresy. Got to follow truth here. He says, I'm going to give you a couple examples of people who left or fallen away from the faith. He says, number one, he says, you got to be very diligent. You got to be diligent. He says, number one, let me find my scripture here. He says, number one, He says, there are the disbelieving who would rebel against the word of God. He said, there are those who rebelled against the word of God. And you find that in Jude verse number five, number one, the disbelieving who rebelled against the word of God those who rebelled against the word of God. But I want to remind you, though, that you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe, which gives us the indication that they had believed. It's not that you are believing now. The question is, will you continue to believe? You're believing now, but will you continue to believe? Do you know how many people I've pastored throughout the years that do not serve the Lord now? They don't continue to believe. It's the act of continuing to believe. He says, number one, the disbelieving who rebel against the Word of God and the angels who do not keep their proper domain who left their own abode, he reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness of the judgment of the great day. He goes on to explain, he says, in Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner of those who've given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh and set forth an extreme suffering for the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries, Yet Michael, the archangel, contending with the devil, when disputed about the body of Moses, dared not to bring in railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So number one, you see the disbelieving who would rebel against the Word of God. And I'm going to explain this next week because I'm running out of time. Number two, you're going to see in the segment... The disobedient who would rebel against the will of God. So you find a segment here of people rebelling against the will of God. I'm going to explain that next week. Those who rebel against the will of God. Those who rebel against not only the the word of God, the will of God, and lastly, those who would rebel against the ways of God. Okay, so you see three things, three groups of people. The first group of people rebelled against the Word of God. The second group of people would rebel against the will of God. And the third group of people is going to rebel against the ways of God. These are people in the book of Jude that is an example for you and I that we do not follow. Okay, that we do not go after their ways. This is an example for us to look at. These particular examples, these are a group of people in each of these categories. One group rebelled against the Word of God, one group rebelled against the will of God, and one group rebelled against the ways of God. And next week, we're going to look at that. Did you enjoy the Word of the Lord tonight?